Welcome, everyone, back to BAMS Radio on this Wednesday, or excuse me, on this Sunday, pardon me, uh, as uh, we are uh, back on our usual time. Uh, we have uh, coming to you once again on Sunday as the Alabama Crimson Tide coming off of their bye week. Uh, they, uh, of course, are healing up in advance of this matchup with the LSU Tigers, the annual one that they have each and every season. Uh, it has lost a little luster because, quite frankly, LSU is not very good. Uh, I think the, 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 uh, the uh, number that came out today, Alabama, a 22-point favorite against uh, the uh, LSU Tigers. So that's going to be really interesting. Quite frankly, I think Alabama is going to be out for blood in this matchup. I certainly would be after hearing the reaction of a lot of the LSU players, coaches, fans after last year. Of course, it was cathartic for them. It took nearly a decade to beat Alabama. They'd lost eight in a row. But again, there was a lot of classless things said. I think Alabama's got a long memory, and I would be going to pay property taxes again on Baton Rouge and look to move on and stay unbeaten. And now we'll be the number one team in the country due to the fact that the Clemson Tigers lose in overtime, 47-40. to DJ Uyunglele playing well, but not well enough. Is this Notre Dame team under Brian Kelly probably his best team since the 2012 national championship team was destroyed by Alabama. But this team, I was impressed. Actually, they really kind of surprised me uh, with the, their play offensively and defensively. I know they gave up 40 points and it was double overtime, but I thought they competed really well, uh, Notre Dame. And now I, now I don't like their chances in the rematch with the, uh, with the, the three or four starters back on defense for Clemson. And of course, as we know, Trevor Lawrence, but at the same time, I don't, I still give them full credit for winning the game last night. Uh, they, you know, that fumble into the end zone buy in book, uh, you thought that might be the difference, but it was not Notre Dame would not be denied. And they showed a lot of toughness in that game. And now I'm going to bring in my compatriots. Of course, Thomas, the wizard Watts live from the, uh, the uh, city of Mobile, as he always does a great job producing and giving his analysis. And, of course, from 89 to 93 and a 92 national champion, William Redfish Barger, who is still very close to the program. William, I know we were talking before we started the recording here in our show tonight, but a very impressive win for Brian Kelly in Notre Dame last night. Yeah, yeah. I think he's come a long way from uh... – you know that 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 famous halftime line that he uh, did in the 2012 national championship game when the sideline reporter what kind of adjustments he was going to make and to try and change the momentum in the second half and I'm paraphrasing here but basically he said I hope I guess we got to hope Alabama doesn't come back out of the locker room. Huh. Um, but no, I, I really was. I mean, it's the first time I've seen Notre Dame play this year and and just you know on the hoof. Um, very impressive looking line of scrimmage players on both sides of the football. Uh, some nice skill players. Um, you know, I thought that's probably the the best quarterbacks as far as managing the game and you know being able to extend drives and convert third downs. I've seen them have in, in quite some time. Um, I, I was very impressed with the product that I saw out of Notre Dame. One of the things that um, you know really jumped out at me, and and I was watching the game with a group of people and I, I tried to 
you know, impressed this upon them was when they showed Kelly talking to the Notre Dame players in the in the Notre Dame locker room before the game. You know, some of them said, "Hell, that's the same locker room that Air Parsegian operated out of." And I said, "Well, you know, the the way Notre Dame is with their academic requirements, I don't think they recruit a lot of guys on an annual basis that are, you know, impressed with shiny, sparkly things. You know, and then but but they do take." you know, tradition kind of to a new level. I mean, that, that thing just looks like an antiquated dungeon. Um, but they, they got after Clemson and, and uh, you know, kind of imposed their will on them on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And, and it was a fun game to watch. That's probably been, you know, of, of non-Alabama games that I've seen this year. Well, I take that back. I enjoyed the Florida-Georgia game as well. We can talk about that in a few minutes too. Um but, it, you know, yesterday was really the first chance I've had all year just to sit down and watch a bunch of other teams. And uh, I had no idea that uh, uh, Reverend Hugh Threes uh, had, had Liberty University 6-0 and as well. So um, I got to learn a lot about college football yesterday with Alabama and Auburn both having bye weeks. Well, and the, the Reverend Hugh Freeze now 7-0. and they defeat uh, uh, Virginia Tech on the last play, 38-35. So his stock continues to rise while Will Muschamp's continues to crater. Uh, you know, they lose 48-3 to at home to Texas A&M. Uh, some reports coming out today that he's on the verge of being bought out and uh, being gone. I wouldn't be shocked at the, at, the, at the latest by the end of this season that Will Muschamp is out. Uh, you know, he's certainly in year five in Columbia. It has not gone well. This will be a second failed opportunity at an SEC program to keep them and, and competitive. And this is a program, if you can go eight and four, they'll keep you. But he's just had trouble, you know, being consistent. Should be a wanted man as a defensive coordinator, but likely uh, to be loose. And then William, uh, I know the, one, the, the, the man that you're the closest to, Jeremy Pruitt, we all think a lot of him. What an unmitigated disaster in the second half against Arkansas. They lead 13 to nothing at halftime. Look like they're in good shape. They're playing well on the road. And then Sam Pittman's bunch scores 24 points in the third quarter and cruises to a 24-13 win. Tennessee plays three quarterbacks, William. They just cannot get it figured out offensively. It's to, you know, I, I, I'm not sure Jeremy's in as much trouble as Will Muschamp. But that was a bad loss. No, I think that, you know, if you're Phil Fulmer and you're Jeremy Pruitt, and, hell, I don't even know who Jeremy's agent is now. Um, you know, I, I think you can probably come up with one more season, um, you know, up there. I mean, he's recruiting well, um, which everybody knows. That's That's the – you know, the number one thing. they got great facilities. I mean, they've got a, a really good marketable program on the surface. It's just that, you know, because the state of Tennessee is, is just not capable of sustaining um, one, you know, flagship university. I mean, I, I think if you really wanted to, um, the state of Alabama could probably sustain Alabama and Auburn, maybe not as national championship contenders, but you could, you could have a pretty good team. Um, if, if, if you really never left a, 
200 mile radius from Birmingham, Alabama, you know, up to Nashville, over to Memphis, back through Mississippi, Atlanta, down to the Gulf, uh, the uh, Panhandle of Florida. Uh, but you, know, you just can't do that in, in the state of Tennessee. So, you know, you've got to get out there and you've got to have a good product to sell to get those guys, um, you know, to come up there. But, you know, it, it's the, the South Carolina situation. And I think you made a great point, Drew. Yeah, if you go eight and four, I think even seven and five, you know, if you can slip up on Clemson or North Carolina or Georgia or Tennessee or Florida on an annual basis, um, they, they've got a long level of patience up there in Columbia. You know, they, they've got great facilities. They've spent a ton of money um, on stadium expansion, a new indoor practice field, a new weight room, football facility. Um, it's just one of those places with just the other universities that surround them. Um, it's just a tough place, kind of like in Arkansas. It's a tough place to win at. Um, but, you know, it's like, like you said, I mean, we, we could make a long list of guys that I think are, you know, good offensive coordinators, good defensive coordinators, but not, not, not going to get the job done at a high level at an SEC school. And, um, you know, there's a lot of guys you could put on that list, and I think you can probably put Will Muschamp on it. Um, you saw some of the same, um, you know, some of the same things happen during his tenure at Florida. I mean, you know, say what you want. I mean, uh, you know, I think when, you know, Dan Mullen got the job at Mississippi State, you know, a lot of people always circled the – you know, the Alex Smith, Tim Tebow, and I guess now that he's at Florida, you can add Dak Prescott to that, um, that he was just kind of more of a quarterback whisperer than a head coach. But I think if you look at, you know, what he did in his last couple of years in Starkville and what he's been able to do, he hasn't really quite gotten Florida um, over the hump just yet. Now, if they make it to the SEC championship, just, you know, championship game this year, then you might start being able to have that conversation. But – um, they, they impressed me yesterday, um, and, and you know, hasn't certainly hasn't recruited at the level that Kirby Smart has at Georgia. And you know, who would have thought with all the top three recruiting classes um, that Kirby Smart has had since 2017 at Georgia that the difference in that ball game yesterday would have been a quarterback that nobody in the country wanted to give a scholarship to in, in uh, Kyle Trask. Uh, yeah. That was definitely the difference. I mean, that, 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 I mean, Georgia just has – their quarterback situation this year looks almost identical to – was it 2004 that Alabama played three or four, Drew, and one, ended up losing into Minnesota in the Music City Bowl? Yes, that was the Bart Gillard yeah, year. That, yeah, that's, that's what – that's what George's quarterback situation this year really reminds me of. Spencer Pennington, that kind of deal. Yeah, I mean, totally. Yeah. I And then, you know, the funny thing is right now, uh, I'll, I'll freely admit that I picked Florida 28-24, but I think what we're learning is you've got to score points. I, I do think Georgia has a, a really good defense to an elite defense. Now, it was banged up going into that game yesterday, but even healthy, I'm not sure they would have stopped Florida all night long as far as they would have got a few more opportunities to probably, uh, you know, to make some plays defensively. 
but I still think they lose the game. Trask is a great story. You brought it up, William. You know, he he was he he backed up De'Aaron King in high school in Houston, and De'Aaron, of course, now a Heisman candidate at Miami. Uh, so you know, at the University of Miami, after having a good career at Houston, Trask, you know, bided his time. Uh, he's had an unbelievable year. He and uh, Mac Jones, far and away, the two best players at the position. But the one thing that isn't talked about enough is where the hell is George Pickens? He was supposed to be an All-American. He's done nothing all year long. Now, I understand the quarterback situation is part of that, but he's not reliable. He wasn't even available. Uh, I think he's a turd. That's the word I got when he was coming out of Hoover, uh, that that's why Alabama passed on him because – and he had some bright moments last year at Georgia, but, again, he's done next to nothing to help these quarterbacks out this year. Uh, Kyrus Jackson made a play yesterday, uh, but there are all these tight ends from uh, that, that Kirby's recruited. No telling, you know. There's one from Vegas, uh, Washington. No telling, you know, uh, how many Western Union bills he got. But I'm just saying he hasn't done. <laughs> he, he hasn't done a Drew, whole lot. You, Drew, you've got to get with the current times. Yeah. Western Union is not the player anymore. It's Walmart. It's Walmart transaction. <laughs> Well, Walmart, but all I'm saying is, William, I, it looks right now, I, I, I retweeted something today that I, I thought made a lot of sense. It was a guy who, who put up a gif of Spider-Man. It was three different Spider-Man all looking at each other. And he said, Kirby Smart, Jeremy Pruitt, and, and of course, Will Muschamp. None of the three can seem to figure out the uh, what's going on on offense. But this is really starting to affect Kirby Smart. Even with these recruiting classes he's put together, this is his third OC in three years. And this quarterback room, I think he's mismanaged. Georgia right now is a complete train wreck on offense. Yeah, they really are. And, and you know, something that I know, because I'm, I'm I, I share a little bit different opinion than most Alabama fans do. Um, the one that used to drive me insane on the CBS broadcast was, was old Vern. Um, I, I've always enjoyed Gary Danielson's take on things, especially when it comes to offense and the quarterback position. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, he pointed out yesterday about the, the Dan Mullen offense in that Florida-Georgia game, um, that's always kind of been a trade, if you think about it. Um, you know, whether it was Dak Prescott at Mississippi State, Tim Tebow at Florida, Alex Smith at Utah, and now Kyle Trask at Florida. I'm not sure if I've seen a, a better OC um, or play caller that gets the running backs involved in the passing game the way that Dan Mullen does. Um, you, you know, and, and everybody wants to talk about the uh, – you know, and I, I'm guilty of this as anybody and how inept over the last three or four years that Alabama's defense, specifically their inside linebacker position, has been at covering running backs out of the backfield in the passing game. Well, I, I don't know if I've ever seen Alabama do half as bad at that as, as what Georgia did yesterday versus Florida. I mean, that those backs were running wildly wide open all day long. And, uh, you know, I, I think while it's a fair comparison, I think, to, to, you know, going back to your comment about, you know, Pruitt, Muschamp, and Kirby figuring it all out, 
you know, Muschamp and Pruitt don't have near the amount of four and five star players at their disposal on that on their rosters that Kirby Smart does. And you know, I, I just you, you know, it's 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 really been an interesting thing to watch. Um, you know, because they kept throwing the stats up there yesterday. I mean, against everybody else, I think that Georgia defense. Um, you know, has done a pretty good job this year. I would disagree with you a little bit. Um, you, you you can't be an elite defense and give up, you know, forty plus points a game to two different opponents. Right. Um, albeit, al- albeit, I think a lot of defenses are going to have trouble uh, keeping Alabama and Florida from putting up forty plus on you. But um, you know, I, I just think that. You know, that, that Georgia situation, while Pruitt and Muschamp certainly, for obvious reasons, you know, are going to get all the the, the um, negative publicity. But, I mean, to me, the focus should be Ed Ogeron and Kirby Smart. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a team win a national championship and – just the wheels fall off the way that it has in Baton Rouge. I mean, you could see it coming, you know, back in the spring and summer when the coaching staff got gutted, you know, when, when all the people opted out and transferred, um, that was a huge roster and coaching staff hit, but there, there's a lot of, um, intriguing storylines. We talked about, you know, what Sam Pittman is doing up there in Arkansas, you know, in previous podcasts as well, but this is just, a very, very fascinating year for that Southeastern Conference, both on and off the field, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it has been. And I I wanted to bring Thomas into the conversation to give his thoughts on the Florida-Georgia game. Uh, You know, uh, obviously, Kirby's gotten a lot of hype. This seals it for me, though. It's going to be 1-800-1980 because uh, this is going to be 40 years without a championship. They're not going to win one. Uh, You know, and and again (laughs) – the injuries have uh, played a part the last two years. They've now got you know, Scott Cochran curse a little bit, but uh, but still, I, I've got a. This was a huge game for Dan Mullen because I felt like if he blew this, you know, he might not get over the hump. But he did not. His team played well. But what do you What are your thoughts, Thomas, on uh, the Georgia Florida game? And really, now the way your thoughts on Florida potentially matching up with Alabama? Well, I'm. I, you you had a real good idea that Georgia was in trouble when LeCount got in that wreck and they yeah. had a bunch of injuries crop up. The The reality is if your calling card is going to be elite defense, and that's what mm-hmm. Kirby Smart wants, you're not going to be able to beat elite offense very often. You're just not. But should you decide to try that, if you accept that reality – you have a very small uh, margin of error in terms of getting healthy and staying healthy. I mean, LeCount's an All-American. That showed yesterday, his his absence. And then Seen basically trying to knock Kyle Pitts' head off, the problem suddenly exacerbates. But by and large, it's not – Going into the game, I expected Florida to win handily, given the injuries, and that's what they did. And Georgia, you know, I don't want to say they're at a crossroads. I don't really think that's fair. But at the same time, the offense 
has to get better. Like, I, I understand. Uh, I feel Georgia program pain. I'd love to win games 10-7, I'd love to see that sort of game. But that's never going to come back. And, you know, look at Notre Dame-Clemson. To beat the Clemson Tigers, Notre Dame had to score 47 points. Now, yes, it was in double overtime, but they had to score 33 in regulation. Do you think – Now, I'll ask both of you this – but Drew, go first. Do you think Georgia could get to 33 on that Notre Dame team in eight quarters, let alone four? Because I damn sure don't. No, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the, the interesting part about this uh, schedule this year, all SEC, is teams eventually get exposed. And I think Georgia's been exposed once they mismanaged the QB room and once JT Daniels wasn't completely healthy. Then you've got George Pickens off the reservation. Uh, you know, I don't think, you know, I think uh, Zamir White's a good back, not great. He's definitely not DeAndre Swift. The O-line's not as good. They lost Sam Pittman. I told you what a big loss that would be between him and Matt Luke. So I just think overall Georgia's not quite as good. Uh, and you've got to be good on offense. Uh, William's right about Kyle Trask. His development has been unbelievable. And let's give Florida a lot of credit, William. They won this game without their best offensive player, Kyle Pitts, who was taken out via a cheap shot, uh, you know, by uh, Lewis Seen, who was then ejected via targeting the safety for Georgia. But that guy's been a matchup nightmare. He made a great play for a touchdown catch from 25 yards out. So they, they, they I don't really like their running game a lot. I think Alabama can make them one-dimensional uh, and can get after Trask. But they are very dangerous offensively. And so – Alabama needs to continue to gain confidence. It needs to continue to improve on defense. I still like the Tide by 10 to 14 points, but I do think that Florida is a formidable opponent. And unless they choke, and I don't think they will going forward, it's going to be Alabama and Florida you know, in the SEC championship game. Because, again, Texas A&M playing really well right now. That win looks even better for Alabama. And then you saw how – what, what kind of game that was really uh, Florida should have beaten A&M. But those right now, William, are the three best teams in this league, Alabama, Florida, and A&M. Well, you know, because I'm significantly older than both you and Thomas, I've got to take issue with what used to be a normal Sunday afternoon for me growing up. Um, the, the scene hit on pits yesterday. Um, I used to watch two or three times a Sunday that Ronnie Lott and Steve Atwater would execute when I was a kid growing up um, on wide receivers. And, and that's, that's really one of the most depressing things to me. Yeah, is it better for the game? Is it better for the player's health? Um, yeah, it is. But, you know, I know somebody that did an in-depth interview after Jimmy Johnson left the Miami Dolphins. And Jimmy Johnson's rationale for the reason why he wasn't pursuing NFL head coaching opportunities was, and still is, which he's probably a little bit too long in the tooth for it now, but he said the minute that the NFL took the fear factor out of wide receivers to come across the middle and get decapitated by safeties, that's when I said I'm not doing this business anymore. 
And so as, as bad as it was, and that was as nasty of a hit on a wide receiver as I've seen. I mean, both of those guys, the lights were turned out before they hit the ground. Mm-hmm. But that was such a big part of this game for so many years. Um, I just kind of sat there and was reflecting on it while it was going on. Um, but but going back to the ineptitude of the Georgia offense, you know, we're talking about it this year, you know, with Spencer Bennett and the Mathis kid and maybe a healthy JT Daniels. I mean, let's don't forget a guy that, you know, I would think probably after his freshman or sophomore season at Georgia was a Heisman Trophy candidate um, with Jake Fromm at quarterback last year in the SEC championship. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no way. Yeah, Jake was back went, went, there last year, yeah. Yeah, last year. I mean, Jake Fromm, all those good running backs, the Sam Pittman-led offensive line, and a lot of good wide receivers. Hell, they couldn't generate ten po- any more than 10 points versus a uh, – you know, a B-plus level LSU defense. So, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I agree. And well, what's being held over Kirby's head is Justin Fields and his development at Ohio State, and he never got on the field a ton for Georgia. And so, he chose Jake Fromm over Justin Fields. And right now, if he'd won a national championship, there wouldn't be a whole lot said, but he did not. And now Justin Fields has got a chance to win a Heisman win a national title, Georgia's starting to backslide. So that's really what's being used against Kirby. So we'll see, you know, where that goes from here. But I wanted to, to circle back to, uh, to uh, and this is in relation to Alabama and their, their chances of getting into the playoff and seeing these teams down the road. I'm going to tell you what, William, I wanted to go back a little bit to the Notre Dame because everybody knows I hate Notre Dame. I do. I've, I've always couldn't stand them, but – I got to give them a lot of credit. I mean, I ripped them a new uh, all week long going into this game. But you have to own something, and you got to give them a lot of credit for what they did. Ian Book doesn't have tremendous arm talent, but he's a four-year starter, William, at Notre Dame. You already lauded him earlier in the show. He has excellent mobility. He rushed for 68 yards last night, uh, and then he threw the ball for over 300. He's really kind of a gamer kind of guy. But I was really impressed with some of their skill players as well, man. I mean, they've got uh, a senior receiver, uh, Javon McKinley, uh, who uh, is uh, from Corona, California. He made tremendous catches last night. Uh, You know, I was shocked when I found out he didn't have any touchdowns, but that dude was a beast. And then I love their tight ends. Notre Dame's always freaking got tight ends. And the the freshman they've got from Kentucky, Michael Mayer, that guy's a baller. 87. He made several nice plays. And then, of course, the one and only, and I had seen this kid early uh, against uh, Duke, but he really showed out last night, Kyron Williams. That guy's a special back, William. And you already talked about they usually have a good offensive line. That's a pretty good offense Notre Dame's got. Yeah, it is. And and, and while, uh, you know, 87 for Notre Dame isn't Mark Bavaro. He better be glad that somebody by the last name of Barger isn't the O-line coach up there because he'd be my left tackle. Um, <laughs> the, and you're right, man. They always, you know, it, it's just that part of the, the country. Um, it, well, Thomas warned us about the Husky. 
but no, and, and, and here again, you know, while we've been, um, you know, beating on Will Muschamp and, and Kirby Smart and uh, Jeremy Pruitt, you know, I had to spend the better part of my Sunday talking my mother off of the ledge between the presidential election and uh, Michigan getting, you know, shit rocked by the, by the Indiana Hoosiers. I'm starting to wonder uh, if we don't need to throw Jim Harbaugh into the mix here, um, albeit he's not a coach in the SEC. But, I mean, could the Thanksgiving weekend matchup between Michigan and Penn State, the way those two programs are trending right now, is it a loser-leaf-town match between Harbaugh and, and uh, Franklin? Um, you know, the, the, wow. the, both of the, both of those two are making waves uh, and making the news in in, in a negative fashion. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff, and and, and here again, um, you or Thomas one educate me. I, I'm sitting there watching, you know, highlights last night. When when did the Pac-12 renege on their pledge to not play any games this year? I must have missed I, that memo. Well, I mean, they they had a couple of COVID cases, so they canceled two games, and they're not going to try to make them up. And so they're all they're, they're doing is crippling themselves, giving themselves a chance to make the playoff. I mean, I think Oregon's probably their best bet. Um, but, you know, that – But now, Drew, did, 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 they, did, did they change course before or after the Big 12 – I mean, the Big 10 did? Well, they, they, uh, they, they, they didn't, they didn't put out their plan until after the Big Ten did, and so they okay. they got some of the same, they got some of the same ridiculous protocols. And honestly, Cal Berkeley, they should have played. They only had one asymptomatic case, and they canceled their game. So it just seems ridiculous to me. But I will say this: if you're the ACC, if you're the SEC, I mean. You don't care because it just gives you more opportunity uh, as far as, like, no, right now Notre Dame's got to feel good. Because personally, I mean, I may be wrong again, but I'm, I think Clemson's going to be very difficult to handle in the rematch for them. But, you, but say it's a close game, they're probably still going to get in the playoff. So there you go. Well, let me ask you this because I, I, don't, I don't concern myself with the COVID protocols in real life, much less – on the football field. So if Trevor Lawrence was healthy enough to be on the sideline yesterday, what part of the protocol process was he not passable on to play? Well, it was the heart stuff, the myocarditis, the testing. Uh, he, he wasn't going to be able to get through all that before uh, the ball game. At least that's what okay. was said by Dabo Sweeney. So, but I will say this, hell, I made this only half jokingly. As well as DJ Ua Ungolele played, he'll be the front runner for the Heisman next year. I mean, he he threw for four, you know, four hundred thirty yards last night and was unbelievable. And even in a loss, and played really well. So they've got the next guy, but they'll have him back. They'll have three or four defensive starters. And I will say this: I know he's and he's your former teammate's son, but. I, and I know they had he was they they extended him a walk on opportunity. I wish Alabama had offered a scholarship to Nolan Turner. He's an outstanding player. I, I really they did they did Drew, but it, they they did Drew, but it was at the twelfth hour, and he kind of 
Okay, Nick, Nick Saban it. flew the helicopter uh, to Vestavia yeah. High School and pulled him out of class. Uh, one of my former teammates is on the coaching staff up there. And yeah. he did extend a full ride offer, um, but the damage had already been done. Gotcha. I completely understand that. Well, uh, but I, but I want to now. I'm going to bring Thomas back into the conversation. Uh, you know, sorry guys, I was I'm the, I'm dog sitting this weekend, so I was the one interrupted with the dogs instead of Thomas. But uh, I wanted to ask Thomas about we haven't we need to focus on LSU now uh, because we were talking about Notre Dame, we talked about Clemson. We both think that Alabama matches up. I, I, after watching that game, I was, I, it was a great football game, but it, it made me think Alabama's got better personnel and got a bigger upside than both of them. Uh, but now they get a chance to play LSU. This looks like a complete mismatch on paper. I know LSU, uh, you know, that Miles Brennan looks like he's doubtful. I don't care if he plays. I think he'll be a statue and not be 100% healthy. And Alabama will have a chance to really make hay. But Thomas, uh, this looks like probably the biggest Mitch match in this Alabama LSU rivalry since Nick Saban came to Tuscaloosa. I, I think this is a bigger mismatch than the 2007 game, which Alabama played LSU off their feet. Yeah, Drew. I, I'm going to be honest. It might be even with Nick Saban coming to Baton Rouge being such a huge talent, that's such a huge mismatch. The line started out at Alabama by 21. Uh, some places have it bet up to 23 and a half. Honestly, I think that's low. I think that Alabama uh, – the, the thing that could slow Alabama down was potential health issues. And we kind of saw the team grind down a little bit towards the end of the first chunk of the season. That's to be expected. It happens every year. And this is – with all SEC schedules, it is a grind. So now Alabama's had a chance to kind of recharge their batteries, go over what they did well, what they did poorly throughout the first part of the year, and work on that a little bit. LSU just doesn't have it. The losses have proven too much. The circumstances with coronavirus didn't let some of LSU's talent developed to the point that they're going to be able to play anything close to the 2019 level. Uh, you know, LSU's defense is straight bad. I mean, they are Ole Miss defense level bad. They, they are not going to – the only way Alabama gets stopped is a turnover. Otherwise, it's going to be up and down the field, Alabama doing whatever they please. I would honestly expect a heavy dose of run from Alabama just to get the game over with. But – on the other side of the ball, even, when you talk about Alabama and LSU, the LSU offense is not very efficient, even with Miles Brennan. It's either going to be a 40-yard bomb to one of their solid wide receivers or a three and out. Now, if T.J. Finley plays, it's going to be a 10-yard overthrow or an interception or a three and out. Huh. I, I just I, – I think LSU is in, is in trouble. And to echo a point you made earlier, every Alabama is going to remember the Ed Orgeron. Uh, we came in here, roll tide, f that. We own this place. Whatever the I'm paraphrasing his post game commentary from the game last year. I am sure that's up all over the facility. So Alabama is going to come for them, and I hope they do. 
I have Alabama winning big. I have Al- I would take Alabama up to about 30 in this game. It's going to get ugly quick. Well, I mean, potentially I agree with you. I think if, if I, I think Alabama is going to come out with a chip on their shoulder. I'm glad that uh, you know that uh, they got a buy going into this game to get healthy. William, we got to talk about it though. Uh, this is the one story of the weekend. They went. They he let some of the players go home. Uh, Trey Sanders goes home to his uh, near his hometown in Florida. His brother driving the vehicle. There is a uh, a multi car accident. Trey Sanders is involved. He was airlifted as a precaution. Hearing non life threatening injuries, but I am hearing that he's going to be out for the season. Uh, potential, you know, broken bones could be a broken pelvis. Doesn't sound like he's going to be able to make it back. A full recovery should probably be expected. Uh, but again, uh, you know, he, he's he's going to have to. It's going to be one of those things we probably won't see him until the spring. Couple of tough years for him because he's coming off his best game. 12 carries for 80 yards against Mississippi State. Your thoughts on what Alabama's going to do? We know that Najee Harris is having, I I think, is the best year in the country. And, and we didn't really talk about it, but Travis Etienne, Notre Dame held him uh, to about 30 yards rushing yesterday. Now, he did have 57 receiving, but he didn't have a huge game. So, to me, it cements Najee right now, the best back in the country. Brian Robinson has had some hamstring issues, has been limited. Now no Trey Sanders. We'll see if it's going to be Roy Dell or Jace McClellan, but your thoughts on the Trey Sanders injury. Yeah, I mean, the the story that I got, Drew, excuse me, um, I promise I don't have COVID, it's the ragweed. Um, <laughs> it's uh, – the the story that I got was that he was going to be done for the season and, and the, the broken pelvis um, theory was floated to me. Uh, excuse me. Uh, excuse me. Um, so I, I do expect, you know, those true freshman running backs have, you know, are going to have to step up on the depth chart and factor in, but, you know, I agree with you and Thomas. I think this could be a bloodbath and red stick uh, Saturday night. Uh, um, the, uh, you know, LSU doesn't have a quarterback. You know, their defense, um, you know, is a sieve. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I watched that whole um, Auburn-LSU game last Saturday, and it was kind of like watching a um, – you know, a pick your poison, uh, you know, kind of match over there with what Gus Malzahn and uh, Chad Morris were doing offensively. Um, Alabama has, I think, in my opinion, better weapons, um, you know, with with the skill players and a better offensive line. Um, You know, I think LSU does have some good wide receivers, but they got a suspect offensive line, and and the quarterback position is probably – um, you know, a, 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 a big of a revolving door type deal as Georgia's is. So, um, you know, could Alabama potentially beat LSU by 30 plus points? Absolutely. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with whichever one of y'all said it. Um, if they don't score on a drive, it's going to be to, uh, you know, a turnover. Um, so, you know, it's, Again, you know, I have to look at, the, you know, the hard evidence. Um, 
what was the final point spread with uh, um, Alabama versus Mississippi State? 30, 25? I think it was 32. Yeah, 31 or 32. Yeah, I mean, Mississippi State beat the brakes off of uh, LSU in the first game of the season. I mean, that was when, uh, you know, everybody was, you know, loud and KJ Costello um, for what he did. But I agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, if you want to put a quarterback out there, you know, versus this Alabama defense, which is, you know, struggled early, made some 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 slight improvements, some baby steps. Um, but if you want to hurt Alabama's defense, you've got to have a dual threat quarterback. And, and Miles Brennan certainly isn't that. Um, you know, there are other guys – you know, aren't threats to run either. So, um, you know, I think this is, you know, the, the revenge factor, I agree with Thomas. There's probably going to be some um, quotes from LSU's locker room in Bryant-Denny Stadium from last November plastered up all over the football complex this year. But it, 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 I, I don't necessarily know how much that's going to play into it. But um, I think we've talked about it on this show before. It's always been interesting to me as to what age group you talk to with the Alabama fan base as to who is the biggest rival. You know, if you talk to an age group that's 60 plus, it's going to be Tennessee. If you talk to an age group that's 35 to 50, um, it's going to be Auburn. If you talk to an age group that's 20 to 35, it's going to be LSU. And in my opinion, that's what trickles down into that locker room still currently. And that's who I think the current coaching staff and the current team views as the biggest rival to them. Um, it is LSU. So I, I think this, I think if, you know, Nick Saban typically doesn't run the score up on people if he can help it. But I think he, if he, if, if he can make a statement in red stick Saturday evening, I think he's probably going to pull the trigger and do it. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I like to see this defense get after LSU and keep getting better. Uh, they're coming off the shutout against Mississippi state. Obviously, South Carolina is. In, in, they're just. They're. They're not. I'm just saying on this podcast. I can. I can say it in this vernacular. They're. They're not worth a shit. So I think we understand that. 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 That win in Red Stick over South Carolina means nothing now. Now Alabama has to take care of business. But no matter LSU's record, you. You brought up a great point, William, about it being their biggest rival, especially to this generation of Alabama football players. And so the loss last year, I think, was still going to be resonating with a lot of them. So I would think Alabama would be ready to play in this game. I like Alabama huge. You know, I personally, I hope they go for 65. I hope you see them back in the first teamers drop 50. And then, you know, they, they let Bryce come in and continue to throw. But I don't know if I'll go that far. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if, we're, if we see some, somewhere in the neighborhood of a 51 to 20 game and a 31-point, you know, uh, you know, margin of victory. But uh, I, I'll bring Thomas back in. Thomas, I know you were talking. You, you seem to be along those lines. I'm going 51 to 20. What say you? Uh, 
Uh, 55-17. Uh, this, this game is – it is so bad in so many ways for this LSU team. The, and the thing – and a lot of what LSU you've seen from that team has been kind of fool's gold in that, you know, they go and put up a ton of points against Missouri. I mean, okay, rock on, I guess. But the personnel's changed, particularly if Miles Brennan can't go. And nobody I – mean, we haven't even talked about the fact that Auburn beat LSU like a drum two weeks – or not this, not this past weekend, but two weeks ago. Yes, right. You know, 49-3. That's – you know, 49, yeah, 48 to 11. 48 yeah, right. 11. What? Well, okay, I didn't give them the garbage time touchdown because I don't <laughs> care about garbage time touchdowns. But, uh, you know, that game was over quick, and it wasn't just Auburn's offense, which is as clunky as any of them in the, in the SEC, just going up and down the field. It was also LSU mistakes. So if you transpose that game, and I realize trans- transposing that, there's some difficulties there, but bear with me. Alabama's better than Auburn basically everywhere. And there's nothing except I think Alabama's defense will give up a couple of plays that makes me think LSU will have anything close to consistent success. So I'm pretty confident that this is going to be a really big win for Alabama. And, William, do you see Alabama able to hit the 50 mark? Oh, I think they can. Um, you know, if you, you know, stuck a gun to my head, I'm going to go 42 to 14. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I certainly don't think there's a lot there in red stick to, you know, prevent a 50 point margin from happening. I mean, not a 50 point margin, but Alabama scoring 50 points. They're certainly capable of that. Well, I will say this too. If Alabama continues to win and, and be impressive and is undefeated number one in the country now, uh, the SEC, the only way, though, they're going to get two teams in the playoff, even with the struggles of the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the, and the, and the Pac-12, in my opinion, is that they're going to – is if Alabama loses the SEC championship game because – or A&M has one loss and they can – and they don't choke and they run the table. Because, to me, if Florida loses to Alabama and has two losses, they're not getting in. But A&M, they've got to hope, one – uh, that that uh, that that Clemson uh, does not come back and beat Notre Dame because if that happens and it's a great game, then you could see Clemson and Notre Dame both getting in. Uh, and if that happens, then I think A and M would be left out, though their only loss would be to number one ranked Alabama. I'm still not sure they would get in over Clemson and Notre Dame. But if Notre Dame were able to pull off the sweep and knock Clemson out of it, then I think you could see two SEC teams. Uh, with Texas A&M and Alabama getting in, and that would be an interesting rematch too. If they were that was the one in the four, if A&M was the four and they got a rematch with Alabama, I still don't think the Aggies match up real well with the Tide. I think the Tide has a better football team overall. And then we have to see, hey, is Jalen Waddle going to be back? I would be shocked, but there's people hinting that the injury uh, could allow him to return by the playoff. I don't think we see him by the SEC championship game. I don't. I'd still have to, you know, see it to believe it for the playoff. But I still like Alabama's chances against A&M. But if they, if the SEC wants, you know, two teams, they've got to hope that Notre Dame can sweep Clemson. Maybe they can. I just don't like their chances in a rematch with Clemson getting some 
uh, starters back on defense, and then Trevor Lawrence, uh, who, uh, I, of course, Uwe Ungo LA played really well the last two weeks. But, you know, I still think Trevor Lawrence uh, and his uh, abilities could help them, you know, get a win over ND. But, again, I was already pleasantly surprised by Notre Dame yesterday. I did not think they had the firepower, even with Ua Ungalele. I thought Clemson would win that game by 10 or more. Uh, they did not. So, credit to Brian Kelly and, and Notre Dame. And, hey, if whoever's listening to this podcast, hell just froze over because I gave Notre Dame some credit. But, I mean, I really did. I, I I thought they were a pretty good football team. Let me jump in real quick, Drew. Um, so, the thing with between Clemson and Notre Dame is the defensive folks. I don't know how Trevor Lawrence could be that much more productive than DJ Uyunglele. But the, for Alabama fans, here should be the focus in my mind. Alabama has to win out and run the table. Because if Clemson beats Notre Dame and – Ohio State's going to keep rolling. I mean, the Big Ten is a mess, but Ohio State's just been a step better throughout. And it's only been two weeks, but bear with me. Should Clemson win the 2-3 matchup because Clemson becomes Clemson-Ohio State? And whether it's Texas A&M or it's Florida or it's whoever for four, I don't really care. That's not the point. The point is Alabama makes the path to a national championship a lot easier if you assume that Clemson-Ohio State matches up in that 2-3 game. Because for all of the warts that Clemson has shown as they've had defensive issues and their offensive line struggling to block effectively with Travis Etienne, they still have an insanely high ceiling because of some of their pieces. Ohio State's very similar. It serves Alabama well if those two, if, uh, those two teams match up and one knocks out the other in terms of Alabama winning the national championship. Yeah, I mean, you make you make some valid points, no doubt about that. It, it's just going to be interesting. Uh, you know, I, I just think that really some of these teams are starting to separate themselves. Uh, you know, you look at Alabama, I still think they've got the most upside of any team I've seen. Uh, Clemson looks good, but not, in, not, not unbeatable. And you make a great point. There's not much more that, that Trevor Lawrence could have done that Uwe Ungle did, okay? So that's a good, really good point there. But the defensive starters could make a difference. But, again, yeah, you know, you look at Notre Dame, you look at Clemson, you look at Alabama. You look, I, I need to see more of Ohio State. I really don't know. So far their defense looks like it's been a little shaky. But I'll freely admit I haven't watched a whole lot of them. But it, it, when you look at those other three leagues, the Big Ten, who I've been calling the JV, the Freshman League, the Pac-12, and even the Big 12, who's really – they've almost erased all their teams from consideration. Uh, you know, when you look – out of those three leagues, Thomas, to me, Ohio State is the only one that might have a chance uh, to be in this dance. I think Ohio State's there, and there will be people – even though I disagree with it, there will be a push for Oregon to make it should they go undefeated. I Frankly, I think if, if Oregon and Alabama played where Oregon got to play however, uh, six games to, and it's you know two 6-0 and o teams, so they have pretty much the same experience, I think Alabama would win by 30. But, you know, neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we'll just have to monitor it going forward. No doubt about it. But we all like Alabama big in this matchup because guess what? The game's played in the trenches. Alabama's O-line is 10 times better than the LSU and 
who Mike Dettelier said on my show last week was soft as Charmin. So Alabama's got the advantage along the uh, offensive lines. The defensive lines, LSU's has just been bad. They have not been good. Alabama's D-line is getting better. It certainly hasn't been flashy, but Fedarian Mathis has played well lately. Uh, we've started to see, uh, you know, Byron Young, Williams mentioned him. He's played well. So Alabama should have the advantage there. Uh, LSU secondary, which thing they're without, has been bad. Alabama is getting better, though it is young. And then the linebacker course, so I'm still going with Alabama there. So, And then we all know Alabama offensively checks off all the boxes. Uh, they, you know, they got the advantage that when you match up the quarterbacks, when you match up Najee Harris, who they couldn't tackle last year, when you match up Alabama's receivers, even minus Jalen Waddell, I don't give LSU an advantage on any uh, uh, in any way personnel-wise in this game. So to me, it all comes down to mental approach and being ready to play. And if Alabama's ready to play, they are going to kick the hell out of LSU in red stick and then keep Alabama undefeated uh, with a chance to get to the college football playoff uh, in during this uh, uh, all-SEC portion of the schedule. But I like Alabama huge. I think Najee Harris is going to have a big game, 100-plus yard, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, contest. And I like Mac Jones. He's going to have to start one up in, you know, Kyle Trask. They're both going to be front runners for the Heisman. So uh, this is going to be big for Mac to come out and play well. But if they keep him clean, he will dissect LSU. Again, I'm going back 51 to 20. I know Thomas likes 55-17. William likes Alabama 42 to 14. So we all like Alabama to. Uh, staunchly uh, rip LSU and thoughts and prayers go out to Trey Sanders who as we said he was injured uh, looks like some injuries that will probably keep him out of the rest of the season should be back in the spring competing uh, you know for that running back spot but again he will be out so he puts a lot of onus on Brian Robinson to back up Najee and then going to be interesting to see who earns the trust of the coaches first is it going to be Roy Dell Williams is it going to be a Jace McClellan I don't think it'll be Kyle Edwards. It'll be one of those two. Will they get work into the lineup, even potentially uh, in, in the Baton Rouge? So we'll see about that. But it's been a great uh, night, uh, BAMS Radio. I hope everybody's enjoyed it. Right now, as we speak, uh, I've been kind of monitoring this, guys, while we've been talking. Uh, Two-minute warning, 34-31, to 31, the Dolphins leading uh, the uh, Arizona Cardinals. But the Arizona Cardinals are driving. They may be about to attempt a field goal to try to tie this game up. Uh, but Tua Tungabailoa in his second start, 20-28, 248 yards, two touchdowns. Kyler Murray, 21-26, 283 and three touchdowns. So both of them have played well. And we'll see if Tua and the Dolphins can uh, pull out this road game over Arizona. But a heck of a game there as well. But I hope everyone's enjoyed BAM's radio tonight for Thomas Watts, for William Redfish Barger and for Drudy Armin. Good night, everybody, and we'll come to you next Sunday reviewing hopefully a resounding thumping of, of uh, the Bayou Bengals and Red Stick for Alabama. Good night and roll tide.